this is you are being witnessed with us mangaliso and miss p yes so today we are it's going to be an exciting exciting episode we have a very special guest um her name is kayanga uh currently based in uh kenya at the moment uh we will uh let her introduce herself uh but before we do that uh miss p do you have anything else before we kind of launch into introducing um kayanga no i think um yeah looking forward to having a chat with kayanga witnessing her in this episode and just learning a little bit about her story um and making you know her feel seen uh hopefully you can come out of this conversation um feeling full um i understand you are based in kenya kayanga and um yeah and it's morning there so we are looking forward to hopefully uh, helping you start your day right <laughs> yeah yeah so i think um like my question i'll start off with my question who who is kayanga <laughs> that, that is a very um complex question yeah <laughs> I always get so nervous when somebody asks me that and I I I start asking myself do, do I say who I am who I think I am what my roles are and then I get very flustered. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um my name is Hayanga as you heard. I am a therapist. Um I live in Kenya. Um I studied in Australia and I'm just going through this journey of trying to understand who I am, what the society around me is and what roles that I play are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I I like I'm I am curious though and interested in I guess the fact that when you introduced yourself one of the things that you introduced yourself as was a therapist. What what does that mean for you? Like that the, the also the reason why I asked is that um Miss P and I did an episode like last week on uh you know on therapy, but to have a woman of color on the podcast is so powerful. Um but also even that label like calling you a woman of color like is it a label that you even resonate with like as a therapist how would you describe yourself as a therapist i would describe describe myself as majorly a person dealing in mental health i have a great great passion of decolonizing mental health mm-hmm. and we've had this conversations with simanga mm-hmm. and Yes, um I have had a, a a winding journey into getting into therapy and I always come back to the fact that I want to provide mental health care to black people majorly mm-hmm. to African people. I want African people if I if they can to, to see themselves without all this Uh, all this conditioning that has happened whether they live in africa whether they live in australia in the diaspora 
even because when I moved back to Kenya and I was majorly interested in looking at race in mental health mm -hmm. and I would have conversations with other therapists, race was not a big issue because of course they're living in a majority black country. And then for me, I was looking at it, I was like, race plays a role in our everyday um, um, interactions, even here in Africa. Mm -hmm. I hear people saying, um, little um, statements about what Africans are, just statements when they're having conversations, you hear somebody says, oh, you know, the problem with us Africans, we are so stubborn. Mm. And then I'm like, that is not a statement that comes from just the air. That is a statement that comes from theorists and eugenicists and all these things and they've come here and they're conditioning how we relate with one another, how kind we can be to one another, how we walk the world, mm -hmm. how we take up space in the world. So as a therapist, I'm always, always my passion is for black people, whether in the diaspora or in Africa. Mm. Wow, there is a lot in that. I I'm really processing it. Um, Miss P, do you have a question while I'm like, I'm processing that, that, that is so powerful. I've got so many questions. Yeah. I've actually <laughs> never heard of, um, some of those terms, like in the sense of like de decolonizing, um, mental health. I've never thought of it that way. Like obviously, well, not obviously, cause we haven't discussed this before on the podcast, but uh, one of the things for me when I was looking for a therapist was I was looking for someone that I knew would be able to identify with me easily in the sense I was looking for someone who was a therapist of color. Um, but I, I didn't mind gender wise. So my therapist is um, um, a man of color. And that was kind of like a non-negotiable for me is that I didn't want to have to turn up into um, the room with my counsellor and have to explain some of the, you know, niggly challenges I go through in the mm -hmm. world. Um, and when I needed to say specific things, I didn't want to think, oh, am I going to offend? Am I going to offend my therapist? Mm -hmm. Or how do I turn up? So I'm quite interested to know a little bit more about when you mention, um, you know, decolonizing mental health and, and or decolonized therapy, um, I guess, what does that look like? Um, maybe on a practical level or mm. maybe some examples of that. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Um, Miss P, when you spoke about your experience when you are looking for a therapist and wanting to get into a therapist and show up as your full self and not worry about having to take care of your therapist. Um, it's really interesting for me always to hear that from the other side of the aisle, from clients and what their experiences are. Because, of course, there's that passion I have. I'm like, I have this suspicion that if a, 
a client of color or a black client for that matter walks into therapists there's layer uh, to therapy there's layers and layers and layers of so many things happening right and i will give you an example of my experience um for me i always say that i encountered race in 2016 because 2016 is when i moved into a majority white country which is australia when i went to study and i remember um just the experience was jarring it was mm. i just felt unheard unseen unwitnessed i felt so small in this vast country of white um whiteness mm-hmm. i remember um I just landed and I just I I didn't expect it because I lived in a majority black country and when I would see you know I would watch videos and all this experiences of people moving to white countries it looked like a dream like it looked like everyone has an equal goal they move to a country like if they want to go to wherever whether you want to, ca- to go to Kathmandu or you want to go to Melbourne i thought everyone has the same experience of wanderlust because for me that was i want to experience another culture so i land in australia and just the first day i get onto the train and nobody wants to sit with me <laughs> mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was so jarring and then uh, so all these experiences maybe two months into this um new experiences and then i decide i need to see a therapist Re- remember i'm going through graduate school as a therapist mm. so I, i'm like i need to see another therapist and graduate school was not it it was not the experience i thought it was gonna be as going through psychotherapy i thought it would be easy it would be you know an experience where i could be myself with other people and that was not it so i decide i'm going to go see um a therapist and i find a white therapist and i had had an experience with my landlord where uh, you know like even as a student trying to get housing when you just move into a new country can be really hard mm-hmm. so i really struggled to get housing and the people the person who had accepted me i felt like i really have to be good in this environment so i get um, to see my therapist and i say I'm really struggling because my landlord keeps on um calling my hair jungle hair and and calling me a wild girl and mm-hmm. I don't know what they mean by this it's it just doesn't sit right with me why do they call my hair jungle hair Mm. and um this um male white therapist um just starts to um excuse and justify this um experience of this man who holds my my future in hand because i need to have a roof over my head mm-hmm. so i really can't show up and say i don't want you to call me um a jungle girl and with jungle hair you know and my therapist just spent the whole session justifying it and i was wound i was hurt i was wounded mm. i just felt like hurt more by the experience of seeing a therapist than even the 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 previous experience yeah wow wow and and that was your first experience of therapy yes that was my first experience of therapy and with a white uh, male therapist gosh okay how do you think that shaped your 
like what's the word how do you think it shaped the way you then st- stepped into therapy or the kind of therapist you wanted to be or didn't like how do you think like in terms of the trajectory of your 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 you being like a therapist how that that's such a powerful incident um and you tell it you, you the way you tell that story it's almost like as it it happened yesterday uh, <laughs> do you know what i mean like they, that's how that's how impactful it, it it comes across to me and so how do you feel like it shaped you as a therapist um i think it has helped me to stay curious because mm. even if i'm a i'm a black therapist and i majorly see black therapy, uh, clients i feel like the clients that i see there a vast majority of people they are so different like right now i'm working in a in a hospital um as a, a, a therapist to people who've had spinal cord injuries. Mm-hmm. I don't walk in there assuming that I know that experience. I stay curious and I stay I I stay ready to to learn and to apologize. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm always listening for discordance, you know, because we were taught that in school, you know, it, I, I don't show up as an expert. Mm-hmm. I want to show up as somebody who wants to, to, to know the experience that the experience of the first spinal cord injury client that I had in the morning is not the same experience of the second spinal cord injury uh, client that I see after that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you kind of step into each session with with fresh ears really like you know i know that yeah. that term is fresh eyes but i think i think for for therapists it's it's not it's fresh ears you know i i don't want to take away from this very powerful conversation that we're having um but i want to shift gears a little bit because I, I i don't want it to be all about work for you um kayanga yeah. i i want i want you to share with miss p and myself and anyone who's listening what you remember how how did you and i meet because we've never met in person if you can share it like it's been maybe what two two three years that i think we've known each other it's such a powerful story how did we meet from what you re- remember <laughs> that was i always say i love all the sort of internet friends that i i make because i always find them to be i don't know very interesting so we met through the internet you and i um it was during the black square month of um you remember the time when uh, mm-hmm. george floyd was killed mm-hmm. and 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 people were reckoning with all over even australia i was having a, a, a reckoning which was interesting to me and um you know, brands were were kind of trying to put a black square, I think, or trying to put to maybe post their first black person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then um, I think I can't remember, but it was one boutique that I loved to shop at when I lived in Australia, and I can't really remember, but they had a sort of 
uh, I think they had posted the first black person on their page and I posted something noting that and then you also um, replied and then that's where we connected. Yeah, no, you, you know, and it's so interesting because I, I believe that, you know, nothing is, is, is a coincidence because you, like you had commented on a post that had kind of like attracted so many comments from people of all different walks of life. And I think there were like Aboriginal people commenting there and, um, my recollection is that they also had put a statement there saying they will try and be so mindful of having like, like a diverse representation on uh, their page. Um, and I had done the complete opposite of you. I had sent them a direct message saying to them, like a, a, you know, a DM saying, you know, I've shopped there and I've always felt like a little bit of an outsider. I love your clothes, but I've always felt like I was a little bit of an outsider because all your models are white. That's what I'd say to them. But you had very well articulated all that, all these nuances of, you know, around the issues of not having representation and how just like there is no representation in a lot of Australian brands, right? Um, and I was like, I like this girl and I liked your comment and I replied. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I've just said to them. But I, I, I've been a bit more secretive about how I said it. So yeah, so that's kind of pretty much how we, we met. So there's, so what we do on your being witnesses is like, we started off, Miss P and I, we shared a story about how we became friends. Um, and as a result of that, one of the things that came up was how she felt seen. She felt witnessed within that relationship. And she talked about the things that were present for her that she holds dear. Um, I don't want to speak on her behalf because like your being witness is, 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 is something that's very close to her heart. Like a, a, the name of the podcast almost like came from her. What, what makes you feel seen? What makes you feel witnessed? In that instance or generally? Generally, I want like what makes Kayanga feel seen, witnessed, held, all of those terms. Oh, mm, actually never thought about this question. <laughs> um, I would say I'm a very passionate person. And sometimes when my passion is much like, just like um, tone-wise, when I'm being passionate and another person is also uh, matching my passion, I feel seen as well. Mm-hmm. That's one. Yeah. Um. Um, another thing, I'm very playful. So like when I'm able to play with another person, I really feel seen because the other side of being seen is that, 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 that I think for me is the insecurity, right? There's always an insecurity to being a full self of who you are. So if you think that you're quirky or you're different, so for me, I do feel like I'm quirky and I'm different and I'm like my youthful self is very, it's something that I nurture because I feel like my young self was not really like able to come through as a young person. So when I'm, I'm, I'm very playful and another person just 
matches my energy. I'm like, oh, that's, that's cute. That's we see each other. Wow, wow. It um like I'll I'll leave Miss P to ask. I've got a question around that, particularly around, you know, that that term insecurity and being seen. But I'll like well do you what how would you like to witness, Kayanga? Well, I think that's actually really beautiful, um that playful element. I think there's so much power in that where you can find someone that you can um, connect with, uh, in that playful, playful, well, playful way. Um, I think that's something that I've not actually used in my thing of, um, when do I feel witness? So, um, Mm. thank you for sharing that. Um, how would I like to witness you? You asked me a challenging question. Mm. Um, I had actually taken a few things. Actually, I'd like to go back to maybe some of the things that you'd said. And I think my first thing, when you you spoke about your story, Kayanga, of arriving in Australia. And for me, I just have to say, like, I'm sorry that your experience was that way. Um, I think that was like my first thought was, mm. oh my gosh. Mm. Um, you know, my face was just wincing and I was like oh mm. I, I I wish it would have been a different experience and story um for you and I think my first thing would be to say I'm sorry that you went through that and you actually mentioned that you felt unseen and unwitnessed um I I want to actually ask you a little bit about maybe sharing um what the benefits are of therapy we kind of touched on that in our previous podcast episode um but um before we jump into that i think you had something that you wanted to say um post what kayanga had just mentioned Mm. it was around you know it's so interesting when you when you spoke about you know like when you use the term insecurity right um, it, it's so interesting because Miss P and I had a conversation. I'm not sure if Miss P you remember around are there are there things that we think are can can look like disadvantages of being seen or being witnessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm wording it right, but you spoke about like like insecurities, right? It, do uh, like I'm? Can you tell me a bit more about what you mean by that? Because I'm very curious about it. Because I feel like it's in the same wavelength of what we're talking about. But tell me a bit more about the insecurity part. Um, here I'm just speaking like uh, just I'm not speaking as a therapist. Mm-hmm. This is just my own introspection. I always I feel like I yearn to be seen a lot. Mm. Obviously. And then sometimes when I'm being seen, I'm like, I'm going to be found wanting. <laughs> mm. Especially as a therapist, there's all these things that you, you feel, um, you feel expected to have figured out yeah. or you feel like you need to show up as a more evolved person. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's the experience for you as well, Simanka. 
Mm, yes, it, but yeah, yeah, and I hear what you're saying. They, there is, it's almost unsaid. Do you know what I mean? It's not like people say it, like they, they necessarily say it. It's almost like, um, it, it's, I, I feel like it's assumed. I don't know what the right word is, but I know that one of the challenges that I've had when I have gone to seek therapy is that I, would be in a, you know, in a therapy session, you know, and it ends up being a once off because one of the things is naturally, you know, the therapist will ask me what I do for work. And, and then I often feel like the flavor of how that session goes or is run changes after I declare what I do for work. And, and then, you know, you hear the statements of, you would know this as a therapist. You would know this as a... And I'm just like, but I'm coming to you as smangali, so raw with my wounding, with my past, with things that I want to work through. I'm not coming to you as a therapist. So I find that that's probably the most challenging thing for us as therapists to, to go and seek some help. Uh, but we also naturally get into that role sometimes with certain relationships outside of our work where we take on that role without even yeah. realizing and it's not necessarily helpful or healthy either but i yes yeah, so yes the, to go back to your comment um it, it is very challenging to then find people that you can completely break down and say you know what i'm feeling quite rough it's almost as <laughs> if you it's almost like a doctor saying they're sick people are like why are you not mending yourself like mm-hmm. you know but doctors go to other doctors when they're unwell yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that that has been kind of my experience, my experience. Um your journey though, I am curious. Like have you have you always wanted to be a therapist? Um I didn't always want to be a therapist. And maybe I can tell you about my journey as a way of um Mm-hmm. explaining how I got here. Yes. Um, so uh, my first career was actually a teacher. I was a teacher for around five years. So um, I, I, when I, I taught, obviously my first posting was in a, was in a fancy um, boys' school. Um, and then after that, I went to work in a rural area with sort of rural poor and then I, I went. I moved back to the city in Nairobi to work with uh, extremely um, urban poor. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, obviously, having studied literature and having studied all the, you know, all the aspects of capitalism and and all these aspects, and then I moved um, to work in different. Uh, backgrounds like with the rural poor with the urban rich and the urban poor i started to see like like human beings are so different and at the end of the day our differences are are excel like them they're put to the full more because of our life experiences like our social economic experiences so you'll find that if i was working in the, with the urban poor they're just the same as working with the urban rich but with the urban poor there's there's there's, there's a like a desperation and that is not existing in the urban rich and mm-hmm. there's 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 
there's a, a clarity, I would say, with my students who like in the biggest, um, what they call quote-unquote um, slum in, in, in Nairobi, they clarity of how they saw life was very clear but then with the students i had that were in the rich schools they were very romantic and idealistic about life and then also i saw so much um um i saw so much like devastation and the human experience going through the worst like Mm -hmm. when i would mark essays and uh, stories, compositions where pre- the children made stories. Sometimes I, I would ask myself, is this, is this fiction or is this reality? Because it sounded too much like reality. Mm. So for me, I saw that and I, 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 I looked at the resilience that my students had, and I really wanted to understand what is this that makes these people who are going through the worst roots of uh, the worst of of humanity and how resilient they can be. What is it about them? And that's what took me into psychotherapy. Mm. Wow, what a powerful journey. And uh, you obviously studied in Melbourne. Um, yeah. You know, why Why Australia? What drew you to this country? There's no deep reason for this. Um, when I was young, we used to watch um, Home and Away in Africa, actually. Uh-huh. And I just thought that would Africa, Australia would be like Home and Away, you know, the beaches and mm. uh, community. And that was the basic reason why. <laughs> mm. And then because I thought it would be warmer than any other country that I would go to. Aha. Uh-huh. 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 But then I cannot fail to mention that there was a bit of white supremacy in that because I felt if I studied in a Western country, I'd be better than if I studied in Kenya. Isn't that interesting? And what are you finding now that you're back in Kenya and people know that your qualifications, obviously you've... Um, acquired this qualification in Australia is do you think that's something that's making a difference or how are you being treated um I would say that I'm still trying to discover that I'm still mm. trying to understand that because um obviously now that I've been in Kenya I've been doing a lot of research on the um, on the mental like let's say psychiatry and psychology the growth of it in africa that's the aspect that i wasn't taught obviously in australia they they didn't there was always an addendum at the end of the the 12th uh, unit would be culture whether you're talking about cbt mm-hmm, the 12th mm-hmm. unit would be um culture and cultural competency right and you just talk about like if you're doing cbt try to make sure that you you think about the cultural aspect or if you're doing grief and loss please try to think about the cultural aspect so being back in kenya has been amazing because um i've started to do a lot of research about uh, how psychology and psychiatry came into africa and Mm. um and the fact that way into the 70s and the 80s we were still using um the theories that were advanced by eugenicists and uh, wildly um 
racist psych- psychiatrists and psychotherapy. Actually, um, in Kenya was the first mental health um, asylum, and therefore all that um, teaching about African psychology was studied in Kenya. And of course, the things that inform um, the psychology that is taught in, in, in Africa was studied in Kenya. So I'm trying to understand how that has shaped the learning of the people that have learned, that have studied psychology and psychiatry in Kenya. So I'm still trying to discover that. Mm, you know, that that's interesting. That's such a powerful research. Um. Ms. Pia, I'll hand it over to you. What, what's standing out for you? Well, your yeah. reflections, questions. There's a lot there. Thank you, um, you know, for opening up and sharing all of this with us. I think for me, one of the things that stood out were that you, um, Kayanga, very analytical. I think when you talk about, um, I get excited by such observant people. Mm. Um, when you spoke about the difference between, you know, the socioeconomy, um, like the students mm. and how just their lifestyle shaped, uh, shaped them, um, for me that really stood out and, and, um, you know, it's beautiful that you were able to observe that. And I think that is such a powerful tool for you to have, I think, even as a therapist, noticing that. Um, I think people walk into the room um, already carrying different, I don't like to use the word baggage, but different baggage. Um, I think from talking about it as children, depending on, I think, where you went to schooling um, and you use the word resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've heard that word used on me so many times. Oh my God, you're so resilient. And it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it definitely goes with background. <laughs> mm. When you've not grown up with the cushions and the soft life and you've had to really go for it, um, I think you just stay resilient. And I don't think that's always um, healthy. But yeah, I wanted to note that and just say, um, yeah, I got excited by how mm. observant and analytical um, you were, even from when you were a teacher up until now as a therapist and I think that's uh, really good um and I also wanted to you know celebrate you two um you um Kayanga and Smanga in the sense of like being able to maintain and build on a friendship that you met online I think one of the things that make us feel seen obviously to be seen, then it involves another party. Mm. And um, for you to be able to be on the podcast, there's obviously been a sense of nurturing that's happened in your friendship that's brought you, you know, to this place of understanding of being like willing to come onto the podcast and trusting um, Smanga with this. So I think I'll say, you know, well done to you two on that friendship aspect um, and say, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, I don't know what other questions did you have that you wanted Gloria to share on? I've got a question for mm. you, Miss P, because you've touched on or picked on like a word that Kayanga used, which is resilience. Mm. So as a friend, 
as we are witnessing, we'll always model witnessing because that is the core of this podcast. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. What does that word like? What does that word mean for you? To be honest, I initially, when I heard it, I'm not sure I was so proud of it. <laughs> yeah, um, because I think I realized sometimes. Well, when it was used for me, it was in situations where I've probably really pushed when most wouldn't have pushed. Mm-hmm. And at times that as much as, yeah, people like that strong, that's resilient. It does have its downsides to it. So are you pushing to the point where you're not listening to your own needs? You're disregarding your own needs. You're... Like, it's not always that you need to be strong, resilient, is what I have to remind myself when I hear that word. Um, I know people may be using it, like, you know, in a praising way at times, but then you're like, I then have to look within and be like, why are they saying that? Have I gone back into that space of striving and really pushing when I don't actually have to? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I see that. I think it's such a powerful word, resilience, because it speaks a lot about people's, I guess, ability to, you know, to push through, to push through things, to push through tough thing, tough times. But I think there's a, also a danger in that word, mm. and I also want to hear what Kayanga thinks about this. I think the danger is sometimes it gets so overused to a point sometimes where. It makes someone's experiences very minimized. Oh, yeah, Right? Mm. But I know that that's not the reason why Kayanga used that. But I want, I I want, I want to find out from Kayanga. What, what's, when, when you hear the word resilience, what, what do you think about that word? Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Miss B, for sharing how you feel about the word. And I think that coming coming from a teaching experience, Mm. I thought resilience was the best thing. (laughs) I thought I thought like push through no matter what. Kind of toxic um, expectation of of children. In fact, because I was I was teaching children, and then. Now, when I think about experience uh, of uh, uh, resilience, I actually think sometimes it's kind of society's way of looking away mm. from other people's pain. Because now we, we know that that weathering that happens to people when they go through really tough experiences. And I'm talking, my kids were going through things that a child should not go through right and then so for me at that time i was like i want to study resilience i want to understand how they keep going and now as a therapist i look at it and i see people need to be resilient of course sometimes they have to be they have to wake up and and keep going when they've gone through the worst especially now that i'm working with grief and loss daily with my uh, clients as uh, the spinal cord injury mm-hmm. and for me the only thing that I, I I hope to do, as you guys have introduced this, uh, this this phrase into my lexicon, is just witnessing and like just 
being there to bear witness to the experience of people and knowing that these people, for some of them, have to do what they have to do, but they would rather not do that. Mm. They would not rather, because it's killing them. The weathering that is happening on their bodies to have to experience the worst that humanity has to offer. That's 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 not something that somebody should be going through. And they should be, hopefully, like, I hope that they have community um, to hold them when they cannot do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And out of curiosity, do you do your sessions in um, in your mother tongue? Yes, uh, well, we speak English um, quite, um, many people speak English in Kenya, mm-hmm. but I do it in Swahili um, more often than not, because working mm. as I do in a hospital, I do I do bedside, because there's some of my clients who cannot, um, they're not ambulant yet, mm-hmm. so I do bedside, or sometimes I chat with them at the site. Also, mm. you know, when they're having rehab or they come to the therapy room. So whatever language they'll be comfortable with is what I'm going to use. Amazing. And I ask that because one of the things that we've done in some of the episodes that are still coming out was around this whole phrase around home and some, something that's come up a lot around home and identity was language and, you know, and, you know, touching on a few of the themes that you have talked about around kind of decolonizing the mental health space, you know, um, and decolonizing therapy. I, I just know that there are things that if I shared them in my own mother, like my mother tongue in my own language, it just hits so differently. It just makes me so seen than using English. So it excites me. I'm, I'm so excited for you that you do this work. And I'm just so proud of you for everything that you've done and, you know, your journey. And I know your journey, you know, I know, you know, some of the stories that you've shared, even going through, you know, uni and stuff. So the fact that you're doing this work is, is, is truly amazing. Like, uh, you know, dealing with grief and loss, you know, when it's not necessarily death, because I think every time people hear grief and loss, they necessarily like think it's it's death, but there's just more to it than that. It's uh, it's it's very challenging work, but I'm sure quite rewarding that you are there for people at you know at the most vulnerable time. Yes, I actually it thought really of something. Is. Yeah, Miss P's got uh, her face. I'll, I'll, is lighting I'll do a up. final question. No? I think. I'm noticing time, Mm. but I think it brought me back to also when we spoke about therapy in our last episode, um, and how in our community, the black, I'd say black community or African Mm -hmm. community, um, not a lot of people take to therapy. Not a lot of people understand therapy or see therapy as valuable. And I wouldn't want to miss out on this opportunity of asking Kayanga, who is based in Kenya, where the majority is um, Black African. And when you're working in this space, I would love to know is how do people receive you um, or as they push back to therapy or um, I don't know how I'm asking my question, but mm-hmm. hopefully you, you, you get what I'm, I'm getting at. <laughs> 
Um, I did. I tried working private practice um, with agencies. Um, better part of 2020, 2020. And yeah, I did get a lot of pushback. And much of the time when I get a client is that many people are at their wits end, not not preventive care, more of, more of reactive care. Mm. And many times my clients would want to fix the problem in one session or two sessions, because of course, still in Kenya right now, uh, people do not have the disposable income for therapy. Mm-hmm. Many of the people don't have disposable income for therapy. So sometimes it's not even the the, the desire to, to access therapy. Sometimes it's even just the means to access therapy because, of course, there's rampant unemployment here mm-hmm. and the economy is, is not as good as it should be. Um, but when you work in sort of the hospital as well, because there, if they want to, they can access therapy. Still, it's something that I'm needing to cultivate. <laughs> mm. I have to do a lot of rapport building with my clients, and many people, many of my clients don't really understand. They they feel like therapy is just feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> Mm. And you just need to get up and, and, and keep going, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I really wonder how we can how we can change it. And maybe it's not well, I would hope I can change it in my close circle. I know I can't change it all over Africa. Um but I think I'm also guilty of going into therapy and expecting magic within like the first two to three sessions but I think as I shared in the last uh, episode was that is actually I'd say it's after a year because I was being provided with the tools um for Mm -hmm. what for the work I'm now doing where it's like much deeper and now I realize like if we had gone into where I am now post a year in my therapy journey if we'd done that at the beginning I might have crashed yeah <laughs> yeah mm. and I, I i'm also curious though if you think about you know your you know your you know all these modalities you know your cbt your uh solution focus your grief theory you, I, i'm also wondering whether for us as we you know as you know you and i we've had this conversation kanga was very passionate about decolonizing the you know the therapeutic space do you do you actually think there is value of actually even changing the word or the term therapy do you think it's so steeped and still in kind of whiteness what what are your thoughts around that yeah <laughs> this is one like a question that i think about all the time oh. because i think itself um mental health the way it appears is so white-centric. And um, the word therapy even, I've heard so many 
many of my fellow Kenyans tell me, um, I'll say it in Kiswahili, vitu za wazungu. That mm. it's things for white people. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep, yep, <laughs> heard that before. <laughs> yes, and it's, it's, I don't know, sometimes I think that um, getting more and more, and I think that's one thing that... Um, social media has kind of democratized is seeing more and more black therapists um existing and but then i think to myself that maybe it's my algorithm because those are the people that i'm seeking out those are Mm -hmm. the voices that i'm listening to because at the same time if you go and search out the the biggest therapists on instagram and tiktok and whatnot they are white and they're not talking about race they're not talking about socioeconomics uh issues they're not talking about intergenerational trauma Mm. They're not talking about settler colonialism, which is still ongoing in countries like Australia and America and Canada. So I feel like it's a a hard road to go. It's still a hard, hard road to go to decolonize and to make it so that many black people feel safe in therapy or psychiatry or psychology. Mm. Mm. I actually read an article on... So in Zimbabwe, they did this thing. So before it was working before COVID and then it was challenged during COVID, but they did this thing with grandmas where grandmas would sit outside their huts on the bench. So you would, or under a tree or whatever. And it was called, you know, just going to speak to Mm -hmm. your grandma. It was still therapy. And they obviously, I wouldn't say like they, they are trained as you guys are like in the sense of going through school and studying mental health, but it was providing uh, people within those communities, um, someone to go and speak to. And that person was posed as the grandmas. They've lived life. They've, I get, but I guess at the same time, they'll be speaking from their own experiences. You know, can you really be, mm. um, what's it called? Bias in that kind of situation. But I think it was a good form of not formalizing it and not if you need to talk, if you're going through something or whatever. And once again, it's not preventative. It's it's maybe a bit more supportive when you're already in a challenge or in an issue. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I quite like that idea. Mm. I feel like it's less threatening as well. Like I've heard, like I know the article that the article that you're talking about, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I I think the the irony of it is that you know therapy existed in I believe therapy existed in Africa before it was called therapy by white people. Like white mm-hmm. people, like you go for counsel with the elders, you go to seek wisdom in people that are older than you. How is that different to what people are doing now? But less value was placed on that because of, of, of course, of course, of course, we could unpack that, isn't it? Um, yes. What are your thoughts? You, you got excited. I love the excitement. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the, 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 for me, it's just 
the understanding and trying to let other people understand that the white white hegemony as it is it was all it's always like taken from other cultures and claimed it as its own mm. and that's um like decolonizing is letting people know and connecting people back to the practices that we had right i have this um quote that said um i i can't say it exactly how it was but it's saying that it's 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 a fallacy that to, to think that we only have culture when we met whiteness we had mm. culture mm-hmm. we had we were taking care of each other in all aspects yeah. mentally psychologically uh, physically in fact like they discouraged our traditional practices as a way of killing our culture and encouraging dependence, right? And so if we just look back into the communities, and actually, funny thing is, I feel like decolonizing is harder in Africa than it is in Western countries. Because Mm -hmm. when you're in connection with white people, you start to see the the incongruence, the inconsistencies, and you also see them as, you know, more human. Mm. But in Africa, many of the times when you, you, you talk to people about traditional African religion, traditional African practices, people people believe that is witchcraft. Mm. There's no differentiations, differentiation between, like, uh, Good, the, 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 the good care that was, because even in Africa, I found out recently among um, some of the community in Kenya called the uh, Abagusi, Kisi, they were practicing um, surgeries, brain surgeries as late as the 70s, but they were stopped by, the, uh, the sorry, as late as the 50s, and they were stopped by the colonizers because you can't have Africans thinking that they can solve their own problems, can you? Yeah. That was the colonial thought, right? So connecting back to those and trying to sift through the conditioning of Christianity as well, that is for me just because right now if you tell many Africans who live in Africa, like, mm-hmm. um, go talk to your grandma, go talk to your community, they're like, no, we're modern people. We, we, And that might even be more healing for that person than seeing a, a mm. therapist who's been trained in in Western psychologies. Mm. Yes. I agree. Yes. Even my therapist says to me, it's important to have community <laughs> because a therapy session is an hour you you've got to live day to day um and i think it's important to foster those friendships those relationships um where you are able to go and speak to people like i'm so blessed that i have my aunt that i can go to like that's a little bit older i have my friends my girlfriends they're like my sisters that i can go to and talk to um and they're they're always there and I'm there for them. And I think that's so powerful. Like we shouldn't forget that obviously the community aspect is, it's so key. And I think maybe if we take this as our last question is, um, other than your therapy, where else are you finding yourself? Um, like where, where do you go? Like for your, I don't know, therapy, but non-therapy. Dance, <laughs> dance classes. 
Oh, that's, yeah, amazing. What kind of dancing? I'm doing all kinds. I'm trying to discover all kinds of, mm, of dances, but of course, Afro dance, oh. all the kinds of Afro dance. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Body movement I is want powerful. To be able to shaku shaku and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Be in touch with spirit. <laughs> Move that body. It's very important. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Sometimes when you're out and about on your Insta, I see you and I'm like, she's living her best life. Mm. What about you? I see you you as well. (laughs) Always, always be in touch with that playful side. As you said, the playful side is so important. Mm. It's really important. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just as we finish up, we just want to take an opportunity to thank you so much, Kayanga, for your time. But... Before we finish, like, I would like you to offer some reflections and also maybe phrases that you would use that for you make you feel like you're being seen, like witnessed. So that's a two-part question. Phrases. Mm. Uh, I was just saying, Nakuskia, which is I hear you. Yes. Mm. I hear you. Yeah. Um, I don't really have many phrases, I would say. Mm. And as a person who grew up in Africa, um, apologies were not things that you received <laughs> mm. <laughs> from you or, you know, older people. And so I think that. We apologize more than we apologize to as Kenyans. Actually, ask a Kenyan, if you listen to a Kenyan a lot, they're going to say pole like 10 times. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. But just, just saying, like, I am sorry that I hurt you. It's just that pole, pole is just sorry. But uh-huh. I think that many Kenyans need to hear. I don't know if that's the same for your communities as well. But apologies that are heartfelt and meant mm-hmm. um, is something that I'm, I'm practicing to ask for uh-huh. and also practicing to give. That is so beautiful. I, I, like, I love it. Like, that's, I don't want to take away from us finishing on that note because usually people will say, I'm sorry, and then comes with the whole explanation. But the whole fact that you said, I'm sorry, I hate you, full stop. Oh, goosebumps. <laughs> goosebumps. Ah, okay. Kayanga, thank you for being on. You are being witnessed with uh, Smangaliso Oranyoni and Miss P. And we hear you. Thank you. Thank you 